welcome to another episode of Bring On United, the podcast I used to say about the best team in the world. Well, let's get a new tagline. Welcome to Bring On United, a podcast about possibly the worst fucking team in the world. Of course, we are talking about Manchester United. Fresh off an opening day defeat away at Brighton. Uh, no, we weren't away, were we? We're at home. I, just, I don't even know anymore. I've lost my marbles trying to think about Manchester United <laughs> and running a podcast about them. It doesn't help. You know, like YouTube channels, you know, like them fan channels, Arsenal fan TV, United we stand, whatever, uh, you know, whatever. United stand, sorry. They feast off that negativity. How do they do it? Like, how can they just go on and talk about something so negative for so long? We talked about it for two minutes then before we came on. I know we're already sick of it. But yeah, here we are once again this week. We were going to bring two, um, but we're just going to do it in one now because it's painful. It is painful talking about Manchester United in the current state we are. All that hope, all that optimism. It wasn't confidence going into the weekend. It was optimism. And I think that's where Manchester United are at, where Man United fans are at. We don't have confidence. We've just got this hope where it can't get any worse. And yet... Each week, we find a new rock bottom. So welcome to rock bottom 450, probably. I'm with Zach, and we're here to talk about last weekend. We've got to preview this weekend, and we're sprinkling some very shit transfers in between. So how are we on this, well, what, night time now, really? It's like the dead of night uh, we're recording this. How, how are we today, Zach? Mate, we've we've just given up recording in the middle of the day with energy. We've just accepted. Nobody's here to hear, you know, an excited podcast full of life. I've got to be honest. If I were, if I had to have guessed, I'd have thought what's going to break you online this year. I'd have probably said Hogwarts Legacy being pushed back yet again. I didn't think it was going to be a Manchester United podcast but I've slowly seen both of our energy levels and passion just seep since we started oh. this. We were so excited at the beginning, and now I'm here, I'm like, God, I love doing the podcast, I love ranting, but I just don't want to think about them. I mean, me and you were DMing one night just basically trying to think of anything we could talk about other than Manchester United, because as you oh. say, we've hit rock bottom. And do you know what? I'm actually going <laughs> to maybe this is just me I maybe have to disagree on something like the idea that we've given up hope I was so full of hope this weekend which is what's killed me I was so convinced we were back you know I, I can't remember how much I said it on the podcast but if you know me in person you'll have heard me say over the last sort of couple of weeks despite our lack of transfers and everything I was like come on it can't get any worse you know we start off strong first couple of games you never know something magic could happen against Liverpool we've got that new manager passion nope I feel like I've just been kicked in the teeth badly um yeah gutted lost I don't even know starting to prepare myself for a very long season again is what I'd say so to answer your original question pretty crap yeah do you remember obviously you go back to the times we were recording I was out in the garden out in the sunshine had a beer in my hand talking about Manchester United and the hope of this season we were doing an end of season review I was in the back garden the sun was shining and now here we are it's quite fitting we're in the dead of night pitch black darkness surrounding us 
I think that's what Manchester United have at the hey, moment, isn't it? Got to say though, we have a responsibility to the British public to keep this podcast going because for anyone who doesn't know, the UK is is entering another oh. heatwave as we speak. It's obviously cold and dark now, but when we wake up tomorrow, it's going to be lovely, sort of twenty-five plus degree sun. It's the podcast. The Bring On United podcast just brings out the sun. I don't know. At least we bring some sort of array of light. Yeah, it it probably is global warming. But, you know, (laughs) let's try and give ourselves a little bit of credit here because otherwise you'd look at it as we're a jinx. We've made a podcast and United have just got worse and worse and worse. At least we've done something nice for the British public. Yeah. Got... Any way you think about it, it's just darkness and gloom and global warming. Yeah, it's shit. Well, <laughs> cost of living crisis. God, we're going to get a dark hole here. Right. Yeah. Uh, just just embrace it at this point. How are we meant to dig off? We just got played yeah. off the park by Brian. Pascal Gross just scored a brace at Old Trafford. God. We're in that hole. We're, we're yeah. too deep. So let, let's go to it. Just before the game started, like... Go, leading up to it, I was confident. I was like, "Yeah, we we can do this." And then about ten weeks before kickoff, I just looked at my dad and went, "We're losing two one today." I don't know why. I just it, it, I could feel it in the air. Just it's like mm, I don't know. You know, I saw the team sheet. You're know, thinking, mm, and yeah, it it started so well. It did start really well. Then first ten minutes, ground was bouncing. Obviously, Eric Ten Hag, new season, sun was shining. It was a nice day. Um, it was brilliant, and then as soon as they got that goal, it, we were dragged back to last season. The stadium was quiet; you could just hear the groans, feel feel everyone going, "Oh God, here we go again!" And you could tell as soon as that first goal went in, this is just going to be one of those days where it's going to be like last season all over again. We're going to be a mess. We're going to lose, and yeah, it, it just turned out that way, didn't it? You could just tell as soon as that goal went in, all the confidence drained. The stadium could feel it, and it was literally like watching Manchester United over the last twelve months. Well, that's one of the things when you say like United needs to change a lot to get back to where it once was. United as a club, like traditionally, kind of enjoyed going behind. It almost kicked the fans and the players and the the coaches into a second gear. You look at some of our most famous wins over the years. We've ended up behind at some point, one nil down. I mean, obviously the '99 final being the most the most famous one. Like we we used to thrive off that. It would kick the fans. The Stretford end would love it. They'd be bouncing off it because they'd be like, "Yeah, it's going to feel ten times sweeter when we now come back and beat you." As you say, that feeling, it was just drained. And it came back a bit when we pulled it back to 2-1. Yeah. But there was always that feeling that it just wasn't our day. Yeah, it wasn't the same, like, sort of just roaring noise from the strafing, sucking that goal. And as Oli Gunnar Solskjaer loved to say, you know, you could feel that trepidation of, like, yeah, we we got one shitty, scrappy goal back, but are we really going to get another? And I I can't really think of a chance we had after uh, the own goal, really. Um uh, so the Martinez, Martinez had one where it was blocked, but yeah, other than that, I, I can't really think of a time we even threatened the goal after that. No, I, I don't. I don't think so. Like it was weird. We we controlled the game, but I mean something that I could go off on a complete tangent about. I'll try not to, but none of our attacking players seem to want to be the ones to change the game. And I, I noticed it, and I tweeted it a few days ago about Jaden Sancho. Sancho got the ball on that right-hand side and had a 1v1 with their right-back, right-back, left-back, sorry. Left-back, yeah. Multiple times. 
did a couple of step overs and then just passed it back inside. We had multiple chances that could have been turned into chances. We just passed it back, passed it across the box, and then either Bruno or Ericsson, who, to be fair to them, are the two players who... I mean, Bruno got a lot of stuff wrong, as, as he does quite a lot. But they're the two players who actually looked like they wanted to play a pass that would change the game, that would break the line. All our other players, they, they weren't trying to do it. They didn't want to be the ones to like stick their necks out. And that's why, like, you know, we actually did... For that last 20 minutes after we made it 2-1, we had the ball. Brighton weren't really threatening. The old Manchester United pulls that back to 2-2 and probably goes on and wins it. Like, genuinely, you take control of the game, you nick that 2-2, and then you just know. You just know that we'd have scored the third, but they just didn't seem to have that fight. None of them wanted to be the hero in a game where, really, that was the game to make yourself a hero. You know, one of those players, Rashford bags it, Sancho bags it. You know, they both need massive seasons, but just, yeah, just, just flat. It did literally felt... You know, if you didn't tell me... If I couldn't see that beautiful bald man with his bright white shoes on the side, Eric Ten Hag, right there, I would have thought you were showing me a game from last season. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to be all negative and you know, going on each player individually, but I just thought, obviously, um, the, the full-backs, Shaw and Dallow, were just oh, they, they were awful all game. They didn't make the overlapping runs at times. You know, Ericsson was sometimes out on the... Out on the left, you weren't sure it was just nowhere to be seen. Same for Dallow on the right. Uh, Dallow had a few opportunities to put crosses in. Kilt back, didn't, had not, didn't have the confidence to knock a ball in. And I just... I, just, I can't... I, there was only one bright spot for me in that game, and that was watching Chris King Eriksson, who I think I said mm. um, was, at times, his runs, his passes, he's too intelligent for Manchester United. Our players are not intelligent enough to make that run when he wants it to play that pass or to play the pass to him when he's made the run they're just not that smart like he's too good for Manchester United and the only player who obviously when he came on and we'll talk about this I think in a second obviously Cristiano Ronaldo he'll be able to make them runs he knows everything about football I just think yeah there's also that power battle of you know yeah I've got to prove you know Ronaldo he's being a bit of a dick but Starting with a false nine and in Christian Eriksen was just not the right move, I don't think. On one hand, yeah, I loved it, proving a thing, but it just proved we were so light up front and we needed a striker because each time we play with a false nine, it's just not worked out at all. In this like five games I think we've played since last season, with a false nine, we scored one goal, and that was James Sancho against Man City. It just proves it doesn't work. Yeah, I, th- I think, look. One thing that I really struggled with last season was fans didn't want to blame Ranić for anything. I think we've got to change that. We've got to start being a little bit more honest. I think Ten Hag got it wrong. I know it's very easy to say with hindsight, and really making an example out of Cristiano Ronaldo was probably important. But looking back on it now, when Martial got injured, there probably should have been a quick change to the training plans, and you just play Cristiano Ronaldo. It's difficult because he is making a mockery out of the club, but it did feel like we went to a completely different system that we haven't used in pre-season. I don't believe Ten Hag's traditionally used it before, just to prove a point. I think we should have just swallowed our pride a little bit and started him. Look, looking back now, and I really would say, like Brentford, don't even think about the false nine. Even if you want to stick one of the wingers up front, if you're still spitting your dummy out with Ronaldo. 
it's not a great plan. It's definitely not what we wanted going into the season. But yeah, that false nine was a disaster. I mean, as you said, Ericsson played really well, but sometimes it was hard to even tell who the false nine was. I mean, there was a time when Bruno was there when he missed that chance that, I mean, he's got to be doing better with that chance. That was, that was, that, you know, in his first season, that is his bread and butter. That's bang, bottom corner. But then there were even times when McTominay was there and he was our furthest point, you know, in the middle. And I'm like, these, none of these players have that striker's instinct. And it's like when you've got Rashford and Sancho trying to come inside, you know, they want to be able to find that ball, just play it across. You know, even if Sancho had started taking players on, he'd have had no one to lay the ball back to. There was no one there. So, no, I mean, yeah, the false nine didn't work. I respect trying to make a statement in dropping Cristiano Ronaldo, but you can't do that again. Brentford... Play the formation that we were playing in pre-season. Play your formation that you had at Ajax. Play what you're confident in. And just give Ronaldo his spot. Tell him, look, you know, do you want to go? You're not leaving. No one's making any offers. Play for the club that you play for. Yeah, I think he will. I mean, Ronaldo's not, I don't think, the sort of guy now. He's all gone quiet. You know, don't want to do a football champ. But it has all gone quiet over there. Yeah, yeah. It's not worked Um, for him, has it? No, and so he's just got to pick up his toys, put them back in his pram and get to work, which it seems to be doing by his Instagram today. He's looking pretty good. Um, but yeah, just moving on, I think, from that uh, Brentford, uh, Brighton game. Enough said for better. Yeah, and Martin, as he was okay. Don't know what the bloody hell he was doing uh, to Welbeck when he pushed him over. God, that was how he escaped her. I'll tell you yeah. what, quick, quickly on Martins, I don't know if you'd agree with this. I, I like him. But he, to me, is very much that like second centre-back who needs to be paired next to your big guy, your big centre-back. You know, like you look at like iconic centre-back pairings. Puyol had like PK next to him. Sergio Ramos had Varane next to him. I don't see Martinez as being the guy who comes in and transforms the defence. I see him as being someone who slots in and is very comfortable, good on the ball and being an improvement, a massive improvement. But he wasn't commanding. Like he was, he's not going to scream and like change everything. He's not going to physically dominate. Like I'd, I'd be interested to know. Like, what do you think we do? Do you think Varane needs to come in, or do you think Maguire and Martinez can come good? Because I, I felt Varane... like when, when you saw those pictures of Varane and Ronaldo on the bench, and people were saying, you know, yeah, but... they have nine Champions Leagues between them. Can we really drop them like Varane as well? Danny Welbeck has four Premier Leagues, I think. That's true. Varane's that Varane, not that player either. He had Sergio Ramos yeah. as the leader. Like Varane is what Martinez is, a bit taller. But do we and... do we think Maguire can be the leader? Yeah, do we think I, we can get I him back up to that level? I honestly didn't think he had a bad game. Um, the pass, I mean, he's passing on the ball. But I thought Maguire was probably our second yeah. best player. You know, him and him next to Ericsson he was the one making that forward pass out of defence. Um, I thought he had a decent game. You know, there was nothing. He was a bit flat-footed for the first goal. Um, obviously, play, he played Daniel Welbeck on just by like the inch of his foot. Um, but other than that, yeah, um, I actually thought he played okay. No, no, um, genuinely, I, I didn't think which, he necessarily yeah. played bad. It more just sort of like, I guess, is me having a reactionary response to already conceding two to Brighton, like is this the centre-back partnership going forward? Like, you know, 
it, it just feels weird having a player of Varane's caliber and not using him. And I agree, like as you said, I sort of, I don't want to end up contradicting myself. Yeah, Varane isn't that guy either. But is it a case of Varane and Martinez could form the partnership? Varane now being a bit older could step up and be the guy. I, I don't know. It it just felt weird to me. It felt weird seeing him on the bench and seeing him dropped. Although, as you said, Maguire did well, and maybe it's a case of. You play them for a few games in a row, they form that partnership and they get stronger. I mean, I've been watching the Arsenal documentary and obviously they had a terrible start, but slowly they got better and it probably did have a lot to do with getting to know each other. Obviously in that series, Ben White had literally just signed and needed to form that partnership. So yeah, I mean, I certainly don't see us changing it instantly, although I'd be surprised if a player who's world-class as Varane doesn't find a way in, or maybe it's just going to be a Europa League and Cup sort of year for him, potentially. I still think he'll have chance, you know, even in the Prem, because there's got to be, what, 16 games between now and the uh, beginning of November, plus the six Europa League, plus three Carabao, four Carabao Cup games, three Carabao Cup games. Mm. So that's what, 25 games between now and... The beginning of November, that's a, that's a lot of games. You're talking t- two, two a week for three out of the four weeks a month, mm. um, and then work on the other one. So yeah, it's it's a lot of games. So I wouldn't be surprised to see Victor Lindelof. I wouldn't be surprised to see Varane playing the Prem at times. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll, I mean, I guess we're going to go into it now. As you know, you need a midfield to protect you at times, and our midfield on Saturday, Sunday. Did not help our defence whatsoever. Three minutes in, Fred giving the ball away at the edge of his own box. McTominay just running around like making them darting runs, not getting back. That midfield was so open uh, for that first goal um, and for a second goal. It just yeah, it was both times the midfield, the defence just weren't on par. They weren't connected. It was just gap after gap after gap. And yeah, it just we do need. It proved. Uh, that we do need a midfielder or two or three. Oh, absolutely. But I think I think the biggest problem with it is, and I, again, I, I tweeted this because it's something that I've felt for a long time now. Everyone always says, like, how can you start McFred? Three managers have started McTominay and Fred together as a pairing, which makes you think that three managers who know and see the players a lot more than we do you know we're not the coaches we don't see them in training we watch the games we watch them once they'll watch the games multiple times they'll have a much better understanding than we do which makes me think that none of them believe that either of them can play on their own which means you have to play both of them that's the infuriating thing both of them are fairly average and they're taking a spot off another player we need that cdm who just comes in and does it on their own we need that CDM who comes in and lets you play Ericsson next to him with Bruno just in front and a striker. Like it's it is just frustrating. And look, you know, I I try and defend players as much as I can. I don't want to come here and just rag on them. But Tomlin and Fred are both in their years at United have fantastic games here and there. They've had games where they've been quality together. They've had games where they've been quality on their own. I thought McTominay was the best player on the pitch in the Europa League final. I don't think Fred played that one. But it's about consistency and it's about taking us to this next level. They aren't the ones. I still think, I mean, I, I think McTominay, I mean, people absolutely slate him. I think as a substitute midfielder, you need to bring him on in the 70th minute to smash a few people because you've got someone tired. Isn't the worst thing in the world. But these two starting every game for United 
we aren't going to get anywhere near where we want to be. Like, no, no, I mean, it just isn't going to happen. I mean, obviously, you do talk about the, the managers have played them, and the managers wanted better players. Exactly. Oli Gunnar Solskjaer wanted Declan Rice. He wanted um, Jude Bellingham. That had to be in a midfield. Mm. He wanted Jack Grealish, you know, who could play in that sort of like number 10 role as well, along with Bruno. Didn't get any of them. Ralph Randnick, he wanted Hedera, I believe it's pronounced from Leipzig. Mm. Wanted, uh, Lema as well, uh, from Leipzig as well. Uh, and now Ten Hag wants Frankie Dion. I mean, it's so. It, these managers want better players. They, they know Fred's and Tommy's capabilities, their limitations, and he's not getting new players in. And that's down to a, a numerous things, you know, the previous regime, you know, Woodward, um, the owners, and this year it's more Barcelona just being king, what, I don't know how to describe Barcelona, yeah, but, uh, the scumbags of the world. Yeah, but it's okay though, because we're going to sweet talk Adrian Rabiot's mum and he's going to come in and he's going to change it for us. Frankie Dion can stay there and worry about his money problem, we don't care, you don't want to come to Salford, you can stay, we'll get Adrian Rabiot and he'll be playing over the top through balls to Marco Arnautovic when we go back in for a bid, even though we've pulled oh. out. Right. Let's let's go and do Rabiot. I mean, I'm not one of those guys who live and die on statistics and stuff like that. But when they pulled his statistics up um, on Sky Sports the other day, his passing, his runs, you know, I, I don't know what Adjun Rabio is good at. He just seems to be like a solid player who's all right, but he doesn't excel at anything. And, you know, I just... The thing with these, you know, the, the pair, I know how now Twitch is no longer coming, thank the Lord for that. We'll get on to the brilliance of Manchester United fans um, in a second. But with Rabiot, this thing of it needs to be the right player on Friday, at Ten Hag said. And oh, I'm not saying this is a reactionary thing. It probably was, you don't agree a fee with Juventus overnight for a, a player like that. I can assure you that Manchester United didn't lose on Brighton on Sunday. And by Monday morning at 6am, had agreed a fee with uh, Juventus. That's not how football works. This isn't FIFA. So this is probably being a thing for a week or two. But how is he the right person? He's coming in with what appears to be the female, alive version of Mino uh, Raiola. <laughs> in his mum. It's not she, like it. She, uh, I remember at the Euros last year when uh, France crashed out Switzerland. She was fighting with Mbappe's parents, Pogba's parents, you know, proper going, you know, crazy. She once cornered Laurent Blanc in the PSG car park for dropping a son. She is a nutter. Hey, She's a nutter. If she was going off on Pogba's parents, then that probably makes United fans want Rabiot even more. Bring her in. She can do it to, she can do it to what Tom and Effie drops a stinker. <laughs> Um, no, look, the, the problem with Rabio isn't Rabio necessarily as a player. That's the thing. Like, as you say, you can look at stats and everything. At the end of the day, Rabio could come in and be the best midfielder we've had since Roy Keane. He could come in and absolutely boss the Premier League. Like, you just don't know. You look at Liverpool, they bought Naby Keita, you know, the next big thing in midfield. He's not really done a lot, but they bought Andy Robertson from Hull and he's the best left back in the world. Like, Rabio could come in and be absolutely class. It's not Rabio that's the problem. It's as you say, it's the transfer policy. It is yet again saying to a manager, we're going to back you. We're going to get the players you want. We'll spend the money you want to spend. 
getting you know six weeks into the transfer window and going hmm it's not really worked yet and we're running out of time um should we just click the randomize button and just find any midfielder in one of the top five leagues in europe and you know we'll we'll drop a bid and then add 10 million more and then you can just have them like this obviously wasn't the plan you know and, and even if even if it was like why is it taking this long you know you've got to believe if frankie de Jong was first choice you should have had a second choice there and if there was a second choice there we'd have just gone for them when we realized the de Jong thing wasn't going to happen this has come after weeks and weeks and weeks of trying to get Frankie de Jong and it's not happened. We've we've clearly got to a point now where, you know, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen now. We've suddenly got cold feet. We're looking at other midfielders. But the fact that Rabiot's name's only just come up, bearing in mind how quickly United links get leaked out there and how many players we get linked to, <sighs> this isn't what Ten Hag wanted. And it's the same cycle over again. And that's the problem. I mean, now there's reports saying he needs to be convinced about the lack of Champions League football, and it's just like, again, really? We are stuck in a rock and a hard place. But But This is why, like I said to you at the start of the podcast, we were having a little bit of a joke, because, I mean, we're not doing this on YouTube at the moment anymore, but you've got behind you the League Cup draw he did, and we were saying, ah, United in the League Cup, and I said, ah, I'd quite like us to win it, because I want to break the trophy duck and everything, and, like, we're all joking about this, but, like, we need to get back into top four. We need to win a trophy soon because our reputation is killing us. Can you imagine? Like, I, I don't even believe, like, does Rabiot... Rabiot's not even, like, the star of Juventus's midfield. This isn't like when we bought Paul Pogba back in the day. This is a midfielder that a few years ago would have been lucky to be given the chance to come to a team like Manchester United. And now he's the one turning around and saying, yeah, but you're not in the Champions League, are you? I mean, we are genuinely experiencing a fall from grace i think we know that but this summer has been a serious reality shock as to just how far that could have been like these are bang average players making a bit of a mockery out of us clearly having no belief from the outside that united have any chance of getting back near the champions league anytime soon and it's tough to take as a fan i mean you can blame me if they watched the game the other day um but yeah let's move on to some happier news well it's it's not happier because we shouldn't have been in for him in the first place. Marko Arnautovic, a racist, sexist <laughs> pig. Eric Ten Hag, yeah, we need nice people, we need good people, we need the right person. He's got to be, you know, we do these background checks, we get vet, we get to speak to everyone. Oh, um, yeah, Marko Arnautovic, oh, yeah, that guy's been conv- uh, accused of racism at least three times. Yeah, we'll get him. And I, I loved the movement of sending Richard Arnold, you know, the emails. I hope, you know, when we say United fans, uh, Laurie Whitwell did clarify it is because of the racist things. At first I was thinking, please don't just be about his ability, you know, his whinging about that, because that's not important. His profile, his, you know, his personality is the problem. You know, not his ability. He, I, you know, I, I guess hindsight or, you know, saying this and that, you know, being a hypothetical world, or if this was Ronaldo, you know, with his rape thing. No one really complained about that, but a lot of people did um, at the time when he signed last year. But obviously, I, I just think this has been proven and sort of thing. But yeah, I just sort of thought of, I was quite proud when I saw that news come through that we pulled out because the fans had sort of had this backlash of like, he's a racist, horrible pig. Um, I'm just glad we're not going in for him now. 
I mean, if you want to know something that highlights just how despicable our club is, and I, I don't want to talk about this for long, so I don't want to give the guy the time no, no. of day, but I genuinely believe if they didn't think they'd get serious backlash when all of his court stuff is sorted, they would get our number 11 back on the pitch. I don't think oh, they shocking. give a shit about anything like that. They care about making money. They care about, you know, appeasing people enough to stop serious backlash. But, you know, not about making anybody happy. You know, they just don't care. You know, they don't, they're not clued up on this sort of stuff. I 100% believe that they would ignore things like rape allegations and racism if they didn't think it would get backlash because they are just despicable people. There's nothing likable about them. And, yeah, United fans did well there because, you know, genuinely... I must have been living under a rock. I hadn't heard about these allegations. Uh, so when we first got linked with him, I wouldn't say I was excited, but obviously he had a bit of like a, a sort of like a cult thing in the Premier League. Obviously he scored quite a few goals against United, I remember. Like, you know, he, one of those players a bit like, I wouldn't really want him, but when you haven't got a striker, you know, it, I guess it's better than having false nine for the rest of the season. But yeah, as soon as I realised about those allegations, I was like, nah, nah, you can't be doing that. And yeah, fair play to the United fans for for stopping it. And it and it shows, you know, there is a voice there. You know, you know, we're not going to go into the whole like the protests and, and the glazing and stuff because that's just a massive debate for another day that we've said we will do at some point. But there is a voice there, and you can make a difference. So yeah, as you said, they did well to stop that, definitely. Right, let's move on to our second Premier League game. Against Brentford, Saturday night half five kickoff at the Brentford Community Stadium. Ericsson's going back there. It'd be nice for him. It hopefully will be nice for us. But I, I don't know. Uh, I just I honestly don't know at all. Like this Brighton game just throw me off. We could go there and win three nil, or we could go there and lose two two three nil ourselves. Like I honestly don't know what will happen. Um, I ex- I do expect to see Ronaldo from the start of this game. Um, I mean, Martinez and Eriksen had like half a pre-season each, you know, literally like a week before Ronaldo was starting game. So I can only see Ronaldo playing a full game this time. Um, I'd love to see Eriksen and Bruno in midfield. I I would love to see that maybe you know having a McTominay or someone playing defensive midfielder. I just don't know what this... Eric Ten Hag could just rip it all up and just throw your molassia in. He could throw um, Ganacho in for a Sancho or Rashford. He could do anything. I just... I do not know how this game will go, how we will line up. I know Brentford will be behind it. I uh, I, I hate that Thomas Frank. I really do hate him. (laughs) He's just a weird character. I just don't like his face at all. He looks like he's been coked off his head for 24 hours a day. And, oh... Yeah, Brentford, it's a tricky one, isn't it? You know, their first home game, Friday, it'll be, what, about 30-something degrees Saturday, so it's going to be warm, it's going to be horrible. Yeah, it's going to be horrible. Um, That 5.30 kick-off, it's going to be that really humid, horrible stuff. Um, Yeah, honestly, it's not much of a preview. I just just don't know anymore. You see, I mean, we could have really done with them not making that comeback at Leicester. Because I think if they lose that game to Leicester, they immediately start thinking, oh, second season syndrome. But I think that, that you know, from going 2-0 down to 2-2, a very tough place to go, will have given them a bit of hope. 
you know, they'll be thinking, oh, you know, let's push on, let's let's go higher up. You know, there'll, there'll be belief there. They are an exciting club. For me, maybe this is because we're recording this a few days after. If we'd recorded this on Monday morning, I'd have been like, yeah, we're going to lose 2-1 or 1-0. It's going to be depressing. I've got I've got this excited feeling, and I'll try and sum up why. Essentially, under the last two managers, like say under Ranić, when we lost the game, you knew what had happened. He'd rip up everything. He'd be like, right, this formation hasn't worked. Let's try something new. He'd suddenly decide that a player who's played on one wing his entire life can't actually play on that wing and belongs on the other one. And he'd change everything, and we'd go from losing 2-0 to losing 4-0. Under Oli, it was kind of the opposite. We sort of just never changed anything. We literally went into every game the same way and we were like, do you know what? We'll either win, lose or draw. Let's just play our way. And that sort of yeah. is what happened. We lost a few easy games, but we won a lot. We drew a lot. Like, you know, it was standard. I am kind of fascinated by how Ten Hag responds to this because on on the one hand, I look at a tactical sort of genius who looks at it and goes that did not work. We need to seriously change things. But on the other hand, I look at a man who will have dragged those players in on Monday and said, we are doing this my way. You do not do that again. You shape up, you train well, and you do exactly what I tell you to do. But I think I, I'm, actually, I'm genuinely really, really interested. And this is a massive test now for Ten Hag, especially when you've got Liverpool third game of the season. You go into that Liverpool game and we haven't won against Brentford. We have no chance, especially if... Obviously, with the empty Old Trafford thing, if it's not going to be a full stadium, it's, you know, going to give Liverpool the advantage. And, you know, we know that going into it. You know, if we don't get the win this weekend, we're not going to beat Liverpool. So it could end up being a very tough start. So he'll know how important this game is. I'm expecting us to come out flying. I'm expecting those players to have been bollocked and to know exactly what they've got to do. I don't know. Maybe I'm just being completely stupid and just way too optimistic. But I'm thinking we get goals. I really am. I, I don't know. I, I just, again, if you'd asked me a couple of days ago, I wouldn't. But I just think Ten Hag drums them. I think he, we come out with a bit more confidence. I think we come out knowing, you know, a bit more like pre-season, playing a little bit freer. You know, it's not Old Trafford. There's not that tension. Look, I also wouldn't be shocked if we lost 2-1. As you say, I, I don't know how you call it at the moment. Like, I really thought we'd beat Brighton and we didn't. But, yeah, of all the managers we've had in the last sort of few years, Ten Hag is the one who I think could respond to losing a game the best. That's what I'm keeping my fingers crossed for. Yeah, I, that's what I think. We just need to watch him, him more, see how he reacts more. Um, whereas we don't know how he does it. So it's like, you know, say this was six months down the line, we we know how he would respond to something like that because we're going to see it a lot. Trust me, this season it's going to be a long old one. We're going to have to see him react from a few defeats. Oh, definitely. And yeah, but like again, I mean, you you know, may I mean, look, it's never good losing a game, but maybe in some way it's there best, is. It's best to lose now. But maybe yeah. yeah, maybe there is an advantage to him seeing this straight away. You know, if he comes in and has a honeymoon period, we win ten games on the bounce. And he thinks everything's all, you know, amazing. And then these players start to pull what they pulled last season. At least he's seen it from day one now. He knows that no matter what happens, no matter how good we start looking, that is how low this team can sink. 
if that, no, they can they can sink lower, but you know oh, they lower, they, yeah. they can sink. You know, they can out of nowhere. You know, after a good preseason, you know, everyone's optimistic. They can just disappear and do nothing. He's seen it with his own eyes. He doesn't have to listen to people telling him. That could be a good thing. You know, he, hopefully now we see this coming and we have a better chance of stopping it in the future. You know, you, you know he'll get, you know, if we're half an hour into a game, one nil down, not doing anything, he'll see it. You know, none of like, I'll call him out on this as well. I called him out on the false nine thing. The late substitutions. What are you doing making a triple substitute with about two minutes left to go? I mean, I thought that was baffling. Like, I genuinely did. I thought, you know, I, I really didn't get that. You weren't giving them a chance to change the game. You weren't giving them a chance to get a feel for the system they were playing in. It was basically just, let's hope one of these guys bails me, me out. It really felt like Ollie at the start when he didn't trust any of his subs. I didn't like that one bit. I hope that's sorted. Earlier subs I mean, in the Brentford game, for sure. Yeah, I, I could understand it, though, when you looked at that bench, you know, because we... I'm all for playing youth, but you don't want to just chuck oh, gang actual. I, I, where it's not going to get touches. I get, I get like it, that. but in my opinion, I, I would have just not made shocking. the subs. I would have just left it. You know, I don't think that was going to change it. I don't think bringing those players in. I think you know, messing up the team and three subs is quite a lot with a couple of minutes left to go. Yeah, maybe one sub. Maybe bring Garnacho on for Sancho or Rashford or whatever. I thought it was weird I think though. People just yeah, I guess people just want to use them five subs because you've got them there, and if you don't use them, the Premier League might start like try to take it away. You're you're not even using them. What's the point of having it? So if you're like for just for statistics almost, yeah, like, yeah. Just to prove we need them. Um, and also, he did give Ganacho, uh, Malasia like home sort of like debuts at Old Trafford. I, I remember who the third player was. I think Alanga, I'm pretty sure. But Alanga, like, again, like, yes. you know, he didn't even have a chance. But no, I mean, I think one of the big problems is I think you only get to use them three times, don't you? You can make yeah. five subs. Yeah. That's probably going to make, you know, triple subs a lot more common. But if, we're t- if we find ourselves 2-1 down with 20 minutes to go against Brentford, that's when I'd sling them on, like, personally. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. just give them the opportunity. Like, even Alanga, who now uh, most of the United fans seem to have turned on and decided that he's actually wank. You know, he was given an opportunity by Randy, and he took it. He was really good, you know, out of all of our players for a couple of months. Garnacho could do that. He could be that spark that just, you know, something different, yeah. something that Premier League defenders don't know how to defend against because they've not, you know, seen him before. You know, give him the chance. Don't throw him on with a couple of minutes left. No, I completely agree. And we will wait and see what happens, I guess. Oh, God. Hopefully, we're a lot happier um, come Monday. Well, Sunday. I'm going to be a lot more hungover. Um, I've got the weekend off, finally. So hey. I'm watching it, having a few beers. And, yeah, I'll be drowning my sorrows, probably. And we will be seeing you all next week. Well, we won't see you. You'll be hearing from us. And hopefully our tug of voices will be a lot happier. We'll be talking about signing players who are good. Um, and we'll be talking about a beautiful wig at the Brentford Community Stadium. Come and on, United. And going on to that daunting, horrible Liverpool game on a Monday night. Oh uh, well, We'll have to do two podcasts next week. We can do the Liverpool one later in the week. But if we beat Brentford, can we just have one podcast where we just smile and we don't have to I'm think about that. getting drummed? I'm just going to repeat, if whoever scores one winning goal, I will just say their name happily for 40 minutes. Fred, 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 Fred. I'm going Ericsson. Oh, I'd love it. Oh, oh I, I wouldn't say no. No, I mean, 
I, I thought I used to love the guy already. I wouldn't say I wouldn't say no to another own goal. To be honest, I mean I'm that desperate. Yeah, I would say yeah. Just please a wig, please. <laughs> we back. See you all next week. <laughs>